inside the recording studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Halstrom. How are you today, sir? I'm doing very well, Jody. How about yourself? I'm getting to the point of feeling like I'm a full human again. Good. Yes. Good. Yeah, you sound like you almost have a cold, but I know you're healing up properly here. Yes. For those that are wondering, I did not have a nose job in the sense of plastic surgery. I had a nose job in the sense of having a deviated septum corrected. And... It means I couldn't really use my nose for about a week, and it's almost back to being usable in terms of being able to breathe through it and not sound like I'm stuffed up. But I'm I'm slightly still stuffed. But yes. All right. Well, I'm glad you're on the mound, buddy. That, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward yeah. to being able to breathe. It'll be a lovely thing. I'm pro breathing. I don't know about you, but I'm pro breathing. Well, I've tried to kick I'm, the habit a few times, but it hasn't worked out too well yet. Yeah, it only works for about. Five minutes tops. Right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then you Did come you back to this thing a- of like wanting to live. It's like this vicious looping cycle. Oh my God. What are we talking about today? Ooh, he sticks it. Nice. We're talking <laughs> loops today. Yes, we are. <laughs> We're talking about loops and using loops and how to be creative with loops and loops and looping back to loops. Yes. Loops. All kinds yeah. of loops, whether they're percussion Do- loops or melodic loops or drum loops or just loops, whatever you do to loop something and make it go over and over and over and over again. Because we we talked a little bit before we started recording here, but I start realizing how far sort of like that market has come since the, you know, the first loops became available. I'm not talking about, you know, rappers sampling things off of James Brown records and stuff like that. But when you were able to probably talking like late 90s when you'd buy CDs, sample libraries of just loops that you could use, right? Uh And all the tools that we have today. So it's been an exploding market, I would say. Yes. What an era. When it came to, you bought a CD that had these sounds on it, you would then get the CD, you'd go home, you'd stick it in a computer with a CD drive in it. Then you'd have to export it off the CD onto a hard drive or something in order to make use of it. Then they got so large that they started coming on DVDs. And that's about the time when the internet became fast enough where it was like, fuck you, you're just going to download this shit. We're not going to make discs anymore. Yeah, and then even before these were being time-synced, they would actually just state this is the tempo of this said loop and more often they were right but sometimes they weren't (laughs) oh yeah i am fully aware of that actually if we take a quick little detour in a let's do it story of my first solo album that i did for me Mm -hmm. i used a bunch of loops and i layered them with some live drumming and those loops would come with certain tempos, but then you drag it into Logic and Logic would do the analyzation and then you would trip find the perfect loop point and it would be off by hundreds or tenths of a, or even thousandths of a BPM. And it was like, oh, so every section has its own tempo because of where I looped the loops so that they would sound cohesive, but the tempo changes <laughs> throughout the yeah. song. So in a way, it's almost like you used a live player without a click track in a sense, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that could be really frustrating too, especially when you said initially there, if you were layering stuff. Yes. And then you would get all this sort of like flaming and things. And it took a lot of editing to get that shit not to do that. It did. And I remember 
BT was an artist that had his own loops come out on, on the sample collection. And the big selling point of that one was they were sample accurate. And anybody that knows anything about BT knows that he is meticulous with that kind of shit, right? So sure. it, I remember it was a big selling point that, yeah, there'll be no more flaming. There'll be none of this and that. And so there's, a, there's from, a lot a to be said way. for good editing when it comes to using the samples and loops. Indeed. Indeed. Loops, do you use them? Of do you course. Ever find, yeah? Yeah. Okay. I've used them extensively. As okay. creative standpoints you, and, and as, you know, rhythmic standpoints and on a rare occasion, melodic standpoints. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one thing that for me and says more about my personality than anything else, but, but it's one thing that it frustrates me somewhat because I'm probably showing my age here and being an old fart. But Get off when your I, cloud. When you see, that's right. I, <laughs> When you see these libraries come out now, oh, with melodic loops or, or chord changes or this and that, and I'm thinking here, my old fart way, I'm like, well, isn't that your job as a composer to write melodies and chord changes? But I digress. Well, I don't know if you should digress here because I do remember getting confronted by a composer at NAMM uh -huh. who knew me, but I did not know him and wanted to be represented by my representation. So I figured I would go listen to him and I would say, hey, you know, I'll pass you along or, hey, you know, you'll need to do your own legwork leg kind of thing. And that had a lot to do with, is he really a composer kind of thing? Because I didn't know him from a hole in the wall. And sure, I like to help people, but at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm helping somebody that knows how to do the work, so to speak. Sure, yeah. And I go to listen to his stuff and it's Apple Loops, it's all Apple loops that he's arranged. So technically to me, he was not a composer. He was an arranger mm -hmm. because he was using pre-made loops for drums, pre-made loops for bass, pre-made loops for whatever instrument you want to call it and layering them together. That to me is an arranger. That is not a composer. So I actually mentioned that he would need to do his own legwork on that because I didn't feel comfortable passing him along as a composer because all the examples that I was sent were not com compositions per se that he had written. They were arrangements that he had arranged based on pre-made loops. And to me, that's not composing. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you there. It's, we have to be careful when we do that, I think, because it, although that a lot of these Apple loops and, and loops available today are sounding really, really good. Yeah. But just, I, I agree with you there. What Just stacking them on top of each other, are you really being creative? It's, Well, yeah, know. that's not to say you can't be creative doing that. It can be creative, but it does not make you a songwriter. It does not make you a composer doing that. Yeah. It makes you an yeah. arranger, which is a form of, music business business of being somebody that works in music but to call yourself a composer if you're only using pre-made loops little disingenuous to me it makes you an arranger that's what i would call yeah it. yeah even the semantics that we're kind of tipping around there what yes. we would call somebody i would say I have to be careful when I say this, but if you're only arranging or putting together pre-recorded material without 
any sort of instruments added by yourself or at least composed by yourself, uh-huh. mm, I think it would be rough to to call oneself a composer going into that. I, you know, can it be creative? Yeah, but it could you do it well? I think that's hard. I think that's a stretch. There needs to be something to it. Will it sound good? I think it would very much sound like something, a pre-recorded piece of music that you would slap on top of little Johnny's movie project he did in iMovie. You know? <laughs> so as opposed to something that's going to be in the, yeah, it, it, as opposed to something that's going to sound good as a piece of music in the next blockbuster movie. And it's not to say blockbuster movies haven't used library music of that kind of nature, because they do from time to time. However, that being said, do you feel that people that do this and stick to loops are cheating? Cheating is a strong word, I think. And it's very easy to sound like a musical snob, I think, when we're talking about this, because... Isn't that our job? As you, <laughs> kinda. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, right? But I, I do think that it depends on how much you're using it. Uh-huh. And I think if you're using them as starting points or if you're using them to trigger inspiration, that's absolutely valid. And treating things a certain way. Now, as somebody is probably listening to this, they're thinking about Rihanna's hit Umbrella, and that's based on an Apple loop. That groove is vintage funk kit number three, right? right? Go listen to that if you're a Logic user and you hear, that's the groove. It's just changed the tempo. Were they cheating? No, absolutely not. That that was a springboard, and, and I think the producer came in and said, oh, my God, what is that groove? That sounds amazing, and they started building it off of there. Right. Right. But now, the key word probably, in your phrasing that you just mentioned was building. Yes. Which yeah. to me denotes that they were also writing original stuff to go along with it. Sure. Now, this was obviously just a, a drum groove. So they came up with the chord progressions and obviously melodies and everything that went along with it. So that is, to me, very, very different. Now, I, I would also say that you know, I haven't studied the song in and out and all this kind of stuff, but they were more than likely doing something to the groove as well, uh-huh. you know. To double back on is it cheating? No, but I think you're you're giving yourself a limited shelf life and probably shooting yourself in the foot a little bit if you're constantly just using loops to do that. You're not going to... Why would it be yourself. limiting your shelf life? Because... It's only, you are only going to be as good as the loops that you're using. There's nothing of yourself going into it apart from thinking, oh, this is in the key of C. I don't know. It depends. Okay. So I'm going to disagree with that statement. And part of it is true. And part of it to me is not true to me. And the reason why I say that is, is that you can be creative with loops, right? There are Mm -hmm. ways to do it. And some people will do it better than others. When you are not tweaking loops to me, even if you are tweaking loops, but if you're just literally going, well, I like this one, I'm going to layer it with that one, and I like this one, I'm going to layer it with that one. That's an arrangement. That's not, and that's not to say that's not creative, but it's also not super original. And there was actually a library, and they may still be in business, I'm not sure, that asked composers to compose things. 
to very specific keys and tempos, styles, mm -hmm. sounds, etc. And the reason for it is you would build an actual piece. They would disassemble it. They would match it with other pieces by other composers written in same key, style, whatever. That way, somebody came along and they're like, oh, I like this bass line, but I prefer this groove from over here. And I prefer that would create a whole new piece of music, which would then get a whole new copyright, which would then get all the other composers that were involved with the little pieces that got used by the person creating this piece of music, so to speak, mm. from pre-made stuff. So somebody actually did build an actual library that you could go online as a film or video producer and make use of. I don't know how well it did. Yeah. I don't even know if it's still in business and I don't really care to share the name at the moment, but it's just interesting in that regard. I think you can be creative with loops. I wouldn't call it cheating, but I also wouldn't call somebody that just stacks loops on top of each other anything more than an arranger. That's how I would kind of define that. But that's just me. I suppose to sort of round off that topic, it's almost like if you're only using pre-made loops, uh -huh. you almost have to be even more creative, you know what I mean, uh, to, to make sure. it sound good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is more of an arrangement thing if that is all that you're doing. If we're talking about, you know, adding things, editing things, now you're in a whole different realm, I think, because now you're using what I consider to be the best use of loops. Right. Are you using it as a source of inspiration or a, a launch point, if you will? And I remember, you know, th there were times that we were both pretty quick on jumping on Stylus RMX from Spectrasonics. Yeah, great. When that great came out, stuff. and the way, yeah, and when that came out, it was it was amazing because you could do so much stuff with it, and it had kind of like broken down the individual loops, and you can do this and that with it, and. It was very, you could be very, very creative. But the popularity of that plugin also led to that when you were watching TV shows and stuff at the time, you would go, oh, that's loop so-and-so from Stylus RMX, and there's that loop, and there's that. And you started recognizing these because they hadn't done anything to them. Right. And well, speaking I think that, of that, doing things to RMX loops. Yeah. I had another plugin at that time called Fatmatic Pro. I remember that, yeah. And that particular plugin allowed you to take certain elements of loops and kind of manipulate them in a very in ways that RMX could not do in and of itself at the time. And there is a song that I wrote called Searching for You. And I really dug this the sonic quality of a particular RMX loop, but I didn't I wanted the vibe to be different in terms of the swing value and other elements to the loop. So it was close to what I wanted. I needed to manipulate it to get it where I wanted. And I used Fatmatic Pro to do it. And at NAMM one year, the year after I had done this, so I'm going to guess this was around 2007, I actually spoke with Eric Persing, who started, or at least I don't know if he's the one guy, but I know he's one of the main guys for Spectrasonics. Yeah, he's, I think he's still the guy. He might very well be. Amazingly nice human in addition to yep. that. But in speaking to him, I had mentioned what I had done. And I don't think it went over very well. <laughs> 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 I, 
And it could very well be why there was a particular update to RMX that allowed you to do more manipulative things to the actual loops and sounds subsequently. And I can't say that it was the direct relation, but it was certainly something that probably chewed on him <laughs> when I mentioned what I did. <laughs> so, cause he literally told me, he's like, you're not supposed to do that. And I was kind of like, okay, but I did. Anyway, I digress. Now we're going back some years here, but there was a time obviously where there was very limited use that what you could do with a loop as sure. opposed to today, right? It was pretty much, this is what you got. But we'll go into that a little bit later. Today, when you're using loops, how do you kind of like use, are you using it more as a source of inspiration or do you, how do you tend to deal with loops? Springboards. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's the jump off point. So, so when do you normally decide to start that route? Is it when you, you're just looking for something and you don't have a necessary idea to, to kind of start with and you're, you're going through your loop libraries or whatever to kind of listen to something that, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I'm going to try to build something around that track. Or, or how do you tend to use it? Like if I'm starting out and I'm needing a groove, I will listen mm -hmm. to grooves until I find one that's like, oh, that's close to what I'm thinking about in my head. Okay, if so it starts will, to take too long, I'll just create the groove myself. So, so you, when you start with them, you tend to then have an idea what it is that you're looking for. You wouldn't just go like blindly looking for something to spark some creativity. Uh, exactly. Otherwise, I'm going to go brain dead and I'll fall asleep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's the best way enough. to put it. Because to just sit there and constantly play loop after loop after loop after loop after loop after loop on an endless repeat just gets to be the point of why am I doing this? This is not fun. This is not my job. This is not creative to me. Yeah, no, that that is, you know, it's very easy to go down that rabbit hole, right? When you're sitting there and you're okay, I'm going to write this kind of track today. And three hours later, you're still sitting there listening to loops, right? So, yeah, if you're doing that, uh, you've got a problem and you're, you shouldn't be doing it. Or at least organize your loops better. There is that. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I treat them more as a source of inspiration. Every once in a while, I will have a mostly completed project going on and I just need some little maybe melodic motif. And occasionally I'll pull something up from some arcane instrument in a loop library, listen to it, tweak it, and then throw it in. But then it just becomes a little piece of like spice. Like, yeah. Oh, this needs more coriander. Okay, well, throw this in and that becomes the coriander, so to speak. Gotcha. But it's gotcha. not the main ingredients and it's not the main dish. Yeah. I have done that in the past. Not so much these days, but where I've had a certain loop and I was like, oh, that, that sounds pretty cool. I remember the specific loop that I had. I, I can't remember where it came from at this point, but I think it was... That's bad. Uh, well, it, it was out of a synth or something. It was from a preset. Okay. But it was a didgeridoo mm. that me being me, I threw distortion on it as I do. That is you. And it became a really, really cool thing. And that actually became a track for a, um, an EP I released for, for this project I had at one point called Siren. And it was a song called Inside Outside. 
I just built the track around that. It was funny how sort of like starting point like that became something in that that song ended up being in a independent movie mm-hmm. that was written and I submitted some some music for and the uh, I think it was the independent film festival of LA or something. This goes back quite a while, but the organizers of the the festival, they liked that riff so much that they wanted it to be in the trailer for the promos for nice for so th- that was pretty cool but it was just like it was such a dumb idea but there was something that kind of triggered it it was like oh that sounds really really cool and i was able to basically get away with it right it's sure. like that, that was cool enough that i did treat it i you know i probably time stretched it and did something else like ooh, super great chris but you know well, i did you, something to it you do have sort of an anal quality to your ability to deal with loops there's mentions in the past of dealing with certain timed symphonic loops that oh yeah you have issues with on the timing because you want everything to be gridlocked in terms of a symphony <laughs> so I, well, I i know that you are notorious for trying to time correct certain things <laughs> i i am because but it depends on what kind of I, I don't want to mention the instrument here so because I don't want to yeah I'm know. not mentioning it but I do know what you're right about. but it was geared it was an instrument that was geared towards the type of music that was being done at the time uh-huh. where it was it wasn't necessarily like you would have a flurry of a legato run right of a violins or the violas or anything like that it, it was very much sort of like a rhythmic element and what they are not lining up properly to me that lost all its credibility because i i couldn't do it i would have to record it and then time correct it which is like okay this is too much work i can do this better other ways but so sure. yeah i i do like things that are in time, so to speak. Well, most especially people if you go for to, that impact. Yes. Most people tend yeah. to like things that are in time. Not everybody, yeah. but most. And with that, let's take a quick word from our sponsors. All right, we're back. And now we're going to start talking a little bit more about how to be creative with our loops. Yeah. So what do you yeah. do? I mean, other than throwing distortion on didgeridoo. Well, that's my go-to. That's what I always do. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff, and I think we should do possibly a little bit of a backstory here to to loops because we mentioned the CDs that we used to get with audio loops, yes. and they were in a certain tempo. But then the thing that sort of started this creativity with loops was an application called Recycle from yep. Propellerheads, where they would the the program would analyze the loop and you could control how many hit points it would be. And it would essentially slice up the loop and you can change the time and and everything there. That was revolutionary at the time. It sounds like really archaic stuff now, but that was really, really cool because then you can lay it out on your, your sampler as well, your MIDI keyboard, and you can you know, trigger them the slices as they were in different orders. So that that was the first thing of kind of being able to manipulate them, not only the timing but also the order of the hits. Right. Um, today, of course, you know, you you mentioned Fatmatic Loop, which was or Fatmatic Pro, Pro I should yes. say. 
There might have been sure a non-pro version, but I just seem to remember it as being Fatmatic Pro. That did a similar thing, but it was, if I recall correctly, it was more in real time. It wasn't, you didn't necessarily have to trigger it, right? I think you just spit it out. I can't remember that wrong, but I remember that you could do a little bit more with that and that also had onboard processing where you could filter certain slices and things. So, yeah, I, I don't think I delved, when I used it, I don't think I delved too hard into it. I was just trying to slice up a particular loop and, I think it was another producer friend of mine that said, hey, you could try this. And so I went and grabbed it. And I tried it. and It worked for what I needed. And then I never really used it again. In fact, yeah. if I dug out that original session from that, it's probably still in there unusable because the plugin, uh, maybe it still exists. I don't know. I haven't updated it since then. But it certainly yeah. allowed me to, to do what I needed to do and get the right sound that I wanted, which at the time RMX could not. Yeah. And of course, today we have Apple Loops and used to be Acid Loops. I don't know if Acid Loops is still around either, but it was also another format that you could actually load them as Apple Loops and you might still be able to. It searched for the transients and you could just freely you know, manipulate time and things like that as well. So sure. that's sort of like well, a quick background. There's other things too. There were sample libraries that you could treat as loops and you had like the Akai sample libraries and you had... Giga yep. sample libraries and Fruity Loops, I think, started out as loops and now I think is a full-on DAW. The initial days of doing loops was, was – like, it was the Wild West and now it's the Wild West for an entirely different reason. It was interesting going through all of that stuff because initially you had to spend your hours of your day editing this shit. And people figured out this sucks. Let's figure out a way to make it a little more automatic. But think about this. If I am not mistaken, the very, very first loop ever was the Bee Gees. They had a drum mm, loop I see that your they point. made. I know where you're going with that. Yeah. And it came from another song that the studio had and they loved the drum part, but it was in the wrong, I think the wrong, was it the wrong time? Something, whatever it was, they had to create this really ridiculous length of tape and they ran it around the room and eventually it looped upon itself and it became a reoccurring drum loop. And I believe it's the actual drum groove to, is it staying alive? Is that the one? I think I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I remember hearing the story a little bit differently, but with a similar result. I'm, I'm not sure if well, they manipulated it. Well, I watched the documentary it, so. that, that came out, I don't know, six months ago or eight months ago, sometime yeah. during last year, about the Bee Gees. And so I'm assuming that the documentary got it right, but I could be wrong. And yeah, it was no. just interesting. To, like they Apparently, they strung it across like, <laughs> like dowels and had like a tape reel to kind of be like the end and the other end of the loop at the end of where it needed to be. So it would be like a weight holding the tape taunt as it was going through <laughs> all of these processes to get back to the record head to, to actually record the damn thing. So, I mean, talk about really going out on a limb to try and make something work. That's, yeah. that's I mean, it, what we can do today in a matter of seconds took them probably a day or two to set up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it, it's really interesting. And one could argue that that, because they had that loop that was precisely in that groove in that pocket that they wanted, that, that was almost the beginning of disco, 
right, where you have that really, really tight groove. I'm, I'm using that beginning of it as, you know, uh, loosely here, but. Very loosely. It was, well, okay. <laughs> Maybe I stand corrected. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I mean, I'm, I, you're asking the wrong dude. It was before my time. <laughs> well, yeah, I was never a disco fan either, but if I look back, you know, it would with staying alive and that let's say that it that's when it exploded. Sure. And it and it was that sound of that that sort of more or less monotonous drum groove that was just super in the pocket and just kind of playing it. So uh -huh. yeah. So but I've heard that that story as well. And um well that might have been the first time where, where people were doing that unless it was, you know, experimental audio in the beginnings of synthesis and things you could argue that or you could even argue like the mellotron is a loop right because it, it has that that tape that kind of feeds the sound and how yeah in a sense mellotron. well mellotron definitely is a loop i mean it's just a loop of a single sound that you're playing over and over and over again with whatever key right. you decide to press on it so there is that however i think maybe the better terminology is not to say that the Bee Gees came up with the actual first loop but the first one that was in a commercial recording that became a huge hit. That that's probably fair to say. Yeah. Because yeah. who knows who wrong, did it before somebody, them? Somebody correct. obviously had to figure it out. And whether they figured it out for them or it was figured out prior, who knows? Yeah. Cause that that's you know the same process there, right? From editing tape, you're basically making slices in tape. So somebody had to sit there and figure out how far it's going and you know, making, pencils. making a loop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and now we but can do that do with a snap of a button. Yeah. And then complain that it's not looping correctly at certain times. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but how to be creative with loops without cutting tape. One thing that I like to be conscious of is how the loop is constructed. And what I mean in that is from a frequency perspective as well. So it was one of the, my biggest knocks on, now it sounds like we're bagging on spectrosonics here, but, but no. that's not my intention here. Oh, I still use that stuff. It's great. Yeah. But some of the presets that they had with Stylus RMX, and this happens all the time because everybody wants to show what their plugin is capable of doing. Sure. You hit like one loop and it just would just fill up your entire mix because it would be the entire spectrum of, of, what was there it had the kick and it had all the percussion going on and the high end and it had a big snare and blah 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 it would just fill up everything do you think that's but why that they becomes... call it spectrosonics because you just said spectrum i'm just curious no clue <laughs> i have no clue but i'm, I'm not sure it was no because stylus wasn't their, their initial instrument wasn't it no i believe they had other things i think trillium was yeah. around at that point their bass Anyway, we, we digress, yeah, don't, but, don't but what I'm what I'm thinking of is perhaps thinking of a loop that is going to provide a certain area of the frequency spectrum. So if that is just the top end where it might be a loop, I might look for something that is just going to do that. It's not going to have a kick in there. It's not going to have any kind of lone low drony kind of a sound. Mm -hmm. So I, I think of that if, you know, you think about the low end, the mid range and the high end and where that might be placed in, you know, the arrangement of the song. That's one thing that I tend to think about when I'm using the loops. It's seldom 
you know, a, a whole loop. It would be parts of something that I might use. Yeah. I'm the same way. So, it, it, yeah. <clears throat> and I think the reason why I'm doing that is because I don't want to be the arranger in that regard of just using other things and arranging arranging it to what it would eventually be. I fancy myself more as the composer when I'm dealing with loops. So yeah. I use them for inspiration, springboarding, tweaking, rearranging, dicing, slicing, whatever it is in order to get it to what I need it to be. And sometimes yeah. it's not even a loop I need to do that with. I have to go out and sample my own damn sound and do it. But that's that's a whole other concept right there. Yeah, but there's lots of room for creativity there that you can do. And, of course, simple things like just using high and low end filters right, to get a filter out what where you don't need to be there and you can get some really creative kind of sounds going on from something ends up sounding like what it's not to begin with, you know, and yep. all sorts of, like I mentioned, distortion and all those kind of things as well. Another tip that I used to do to just experiment is if you have a loop, let's say that you have a drum groove, I'm thinking not necessarily a natural acoustic sounding kit, but something that is more the breakbeat kind of end of the spectrum. Uh If you have a few of those, let's say you have a four or an eight bar loop, and then you have a handful of versions of that loop so that there are small changes. A trick I used to do in Logic was that I would put them all on different tracks and then pack them all into a take folder, just as you would with vocals or whatever. Yep. And then use that process to just slice them up and get some kind of really interesting results. And usually the more random they were, the more interesting they could sound. That might not be something that you're using for your basic groove in a pop track, but it was very much of the experimental nature where you can get something out of something that isn't its original intent, if that makes sense. Right. Be creative with them. I mean, there's it really just is, sounds silly, but it's just your imagination that puts a limit to what it is. And I think, you know, going a little bit above and beyond with an initial loop, even if you like what it sounds like, go ahead and tweak it and do something to it. And I think it gets a little bit more satisfaction out of it or at least some more originality to it. Sure. I think. One other thing that we probably should talk a little bit about is the concept of rights and copyrights and, and whatnot when it comes to making and using samples and loops or looping samples of that nature. There are plenty of horror stories of people going and sampling something off of a record to make a loop of it, writing a song around it, not thinking about the rights at all, Mm -hmm. releasing it, suddenly it becomes a hit and they don't get any of the royalties because the original songwriter or composer or rights holder comes back and sues the pants off you. Yeah, And I don't condone that. If you're going to go and sample something that somebody else has already created and released as a copyrightable thing, I believe you need to get proper credit. I believe you need to give proper due in terms of the rights and royalties and whatever happens with what you are creating. That being said, there are plenty of royalty-free libraries, the ones that come with Logic. That is a plethora of stuff. Is it all usable? Who knows? 
but at least it's there. And there's a good example of a giant hit song, Umbrella, being used from an Apple loop. If we go something a little more modern, then you get something where you got these guys that are beat makers that make a beat, sell it for 50 bucks. Somebody creates a track over the top of it and they get nothing further. And a good example of that yeah. uh, in recent years would be Little Nas with Old Town Road. It's like, yeah. However, the interesting thing about that story is the guy that made the beat got his whatever fee was for doing the beat, didn't get any royalties on it beyond that. However, I guess they layered it with something from Nine Inch Nails. Guess who got a cut of that? <laughs> Did he really? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, you don't get away with like so. There's certain bands you just can't not get away with that with, and yeah. there's an example also that was probably not widely known, but Snoop Dogg released an album. One of the songs had a sample in it, was not cleared. Friend of mine was a co-writer on it, got a lot of money for that. So well, if you decide to do it, just be prepared that if you didn't get the rights and you didn't get permission, you could get your money it could break you essentially is what it is yeah there's an example of a band from i don't know the early aughts or something like that the verve they sampled a song from the rolling stones yeah the stones didn't even write the portion that got sampled but they owned the rights to it the verve lost and essentially it destroyed them so yeah. don't do it when, those are biggest hit yeah, yeah it was a gigantic hit for not only the stones, but also for the verb. <laughs> so, but the thing being said here is, is if you're going to sample something and make a loop of it, be sure that if it's already copywritten, that you get the rights to do it. Otherwise, you're safer and better off sticking to royalty-free things or things that you have purchased that allow you the creative use to use the loops as you see fit to hopefully create your own copyrights on that's just a, yeah. a word of caution and a word of be aware. Don't go into this yeah, blindly and doing something stupid. Clear your samples if you're one of those, you know, artists that, that like to sample old records and stuff. It's simple email, rather than they either say yes or no. And if you start seeing some money from that song, they're going to come a knocking. So, oh, yeah. Clear your samples. Clear your samples. Clear your loops when you sample. When you when, clear your loop samples, is that what it? it it's just like a terminology there that's, that I'm probably missing. But clear if you are sampling it from somebody else's recording, you need to clear it. Yeah. So, but to sort of round off this topic here, it's I think, in my opinion, it, it can be a great source of inspiration. Yes. Provided that. You use some creativity with it. it. The more you kind of do something to alter or mess up the original loop that you have, look at it as perhaps just infusing more of your originality into it. If you're not doing anything else to whatever that, that loop or sample is, chances are that somebody else is using it as well. So, Well, that's not even know. a chances are. It's probably a given. Yeah. Be creative with it. But they're cool. They can, you know, you can make or break a song if you just add a little, oh, this needs something. Oh, I had this keyboard line on top of it. Works great. Awesome. Or it could be a distorted didgeridoo or <laughs> what, whatever happens to be. Sure. So, yeah. What's yeah, your favorite looper, loop or instrument? Damage. Damage. That's a good Damage. one. Yeah. Yeah. Be awesome. yeah. And even there, I mean, it, it's one of those things that, that you can – 
press one key and you get a whole arranged loop, but that that will start sounding, you know, repetitive and possibly boring. So, sure. but then within that instrument, you have the ability to break it out and manipulate it and do all these things with it. But yeah, that's my favorite. I that finds itself into a lot of the things I do. I well, there's no secret. Curiosity <laughs> found. So there you go. Damage is right on top of that list. What about you? Besides RMX, uh, is there anything else? I would say it's hard for me to play favorites at this point. And yeah. it probably has to do with doing a variety of different things in terms of productions. So the native instrument stuff, like I'm scratching the surface when it comes to things like that you can get with these libraries for machine, which is built around oh, I'm that sure. concept. Yeah. Also with damage and damage two and RMX. Mm -hmm as well there's apple loops i mean this is ridiculous and i've got an apple loop library that i probably just need to throw away <laughs> at this point because <laughs> it is just so ridiculously large it's accumulated so much stuff over the years and it's like why do i do this why do i have this here I, I can't say that i have a favorite to pick but i certainly have a plethora to choose from that is a good thing because all the stuff that we have out there today it's i mean it's a wonderful time to to do this kind of thing because there are so many tools. So there's no excuse to not be creative, damn it. Correctamundo. And with that, let's move on to some Friday finds. Chris, what have you got for us today? Well, my interface manufacturer of choice, Apogee, just announced that they're coming out with a Duet 3. So it's going to have their usual converters, high-quality converters. But one thing that they are adding to this, besides a new form factor, is onboard processing. Well, how so about that? Yeah, jumping on the UA route here and, and letting their native plugins be run or powered by the interface, I should say. Ah. So I thought that was kind of cool. I'm a big fan of, of Apogee. So yes. that, that was my Friday find. What about you? I'm going to go down under for this one. Cool. Yeah. Speaking of didgeridoos. And things, right? <laughs> Speaking of didgeridoos and someone we were speaking with just before the podcast got rolling. Indeed. Uh, the Rode NT-USB mic mm. is a lovely little choice for those who wish to have something that makes it easier for them to sound a little better when they're recording a podcast. I am not currently using one. However... The great thing about this particular mic is it does come with not only the microphone, but a pop shield, the way to mount it, and a method to get it standing on your desk without too much trouble. There it is. Uh, the NT-USB Rode microphone, if you're looking to help improve your podcasting a little bit. Very cool. Oh, yeah. And with that... While we've got your attention, we would like for you to go to our website and leave us a review at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com forward slash review. Or you can go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our email list, which will get you a little surprise package of some 
plug-in presets from Chris and I. In addition to that, you'll get weekly reminders about our Tuesday tips that come out on Fleecely on Tuesday. And we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast doing so. If you would like to get something fun in your inbox, email us at goldstar at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word loops. And if you have a topic of suggestion for Chris and I to pontificate upon in a future episode, contact us via the contact page on the website at, hint, hint, insidetherecordingstudio.com, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And I will now say, see you next week. Have a good one, Jody.